0: Today's scripture reading is taken from 1 John, chapter 5, verse 1 to 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, And when we love God and obey his commandments, for this is the love of God, and we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? May God help us to hear his word.
1: Thank you, Alicia. Let's take a moment and go to the Lord in prayer together. Our Father God, we ask uh, for a moment to reconsider. For we've been in this world all week. We've given attention to things that are not of you. We've filled our hearts and minds with ideas that do not come from you. So now we come for a second opinion. We pray, O God, that you would fill our hearts with expectation, that you are in this place and that you have something to say to your people. Open our hearts and our ears, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you've been with us for several months, you know that we are now coming to the end of our journey in this amazing little book, The Letter of 1 John. And uh, the last two weeks, we were looking at uh, different aspects of our fellowship with Christ... And we are looking at the next aspect, which is the victory that we can have in this fellowship with Christ. Because we are in fellowship with him, we can have this victorious expectation. But let me just take a moment and remind us of the context. Because sometimes we are, are really myopic. Now, I am literally myopic, but sometimes we are myopic in terms of our life here today. We, we see our life and we interpret everything in Scripture based upon how we are experiencing life today, but they were experiencing life in the first century that is uh, considerably different. I know we all have our pain, but let me remind us of the context in which John lived and served and taught and eventually died. In this context, for the early church, it was a church that existed with significant physical threat. In in fact, you will remember that of all of the apostles, only John was left. They didn't move away. They didn't decide to go out church planting. They had been killed, a vicious and brutal death. Not only was there a physical attack or physical threat, there, there was a spiritual threat Because leadership doesn't like a vacuum. And so there were men moving into leadership, not to replace the apostles, but to replace Christ. And that, remember, is where we get that term, anti-Christ. Not necessarily against Christ, but in the original meaning, anti, or anti, as the Americans say, is replacing Christ. There were men beginning to teach a different gospel. In addition to that, there was this emotional damage that occurred because of the context, people were beginning to wonder, you know, is this real actually? How, how can it be all falling apart in front of our eyes? How, how do we even know that, that we have been transformed by Christ? How do we know this thing, this faith is a real thing? They were racked with doubts. And that is why the apostle is writing these Words. And in the first five verses of chapter five, we come to a bit of a transition, moving, as it were, from the focus on love to the focus on faith and the victory that we can have in the fellowship that we have and know in Christ. So John's question for us this morning is when your world, when my world is full of ambiguity and doubt, how can I be sure? I, I mean, when I look around and my relationships are in a mess and I, I don't know how to fix them, my, my company is contracting and I might be next when I've given my best to my studies and now I'm graduated with a degree and can't find work, when everywhere I look I see cancer, if you're my my age, you're already seeing a declining circle of friends because they're dying, I assume, too early. When you look around at your world, the question is worth asking. How can we be sure? And this is why the Apostle John responds... By talking about something that didn't seem to make sense in their context. Victory. Victory in the middle of defeat. Victory in the middle of discouragement and even, yes, despair. And this is the first evidence he gives. The victory of perspective. Now, uh, let me read this again for us. Everyone who believes, I want you to notice two things in this one verse. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Anyone who believes. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Two things in one sentence. If you believe, that's evidence that you have been reborn in Christ. If you love those who have been reborn in Christ, that is evidence that you have been reborn in Christ. Love and belief, it's evidence. So so let's just try this out. This is is like class participation time. I want everybody to take a deep breath. Just one. Fill your lungs with that oxygenated, conditioned air. You know why you did that? Because you have been born. That's the order. You are birthed, and then you start breathing. I I know that Singaporeans are obsessive planners, but not even one of you were so kiasu. You started breathing in your mother's womb and planned your own birth. Right? Not any of us. Birth was something that happened to us. I was a passive observer. Belief is a response to our rebirth. The gift God gave was my turning. I didn't turn because I suddenly was more aware. I didn't become a Christian because I reached some new level of what experience with a God. I turned because he gave me the gift of repentance to turn from my own mess. To turn from my own ways and turn toward God. That's the gift. And then he birthed his spirit in me. And I believed. You need that for every day. Whenever it is you believe you became a Christian. Whenever it is that you marked the date and said I was reborn on that day spiritually alive. You need that the next day too. That's why it's not. He is not a one-time gift. He is an ongoing, flowing river of life in us. Breathing is a sign of being born. Believing is a sign of being reborn. That's the victory of perspective, and this is also a victory that rises above context and culture. Now, Sherry's gone, so it's okay for me to expose myself. She doesn't like it when I do this. She doesn't like me being transparent. She thinks pastors should be more awesome. But I'll be honest with you. I missed being American by 20 kilometers. Vancouver is just like 20 kilometers north of the border. And I often think it would be great to be American because Americans are not like Canadians. They're not always looking for approval. Americans are just confident. I mean, when given a choice between good and great, American always chooses awesome. (laughs) And and when I get asked if I'm good or great, I always choose, you know, I'm not bad. Could, Could be worse, right? That's my culture. I look through the constantly gaze through the broken lenses of my culture. And it informs me of stuff that may be or may not be true. So as as, uh, GBCers, you know, I go back to Vancouver once a year, mostly for tree therapy. But I also have to, you know, take care of some stuff. Like last June, we went back for two weeks, and I went to look at getting a new pair of glasses in Canada. And so I looked at a frame that didn't look too, like, 1989. And, and then eventually you have to ask the price. And, and the sales girl was very sweet. She said, oh, oh the price is $189. And then she paused and said, but uh, um, that's only for single vision lenses. Are you still in single vision lenses? Okay, the answer is no, but I don't need you to remind me of that, is the thing. But my culture will always remind me of some imperfection, and then I camp out there. And the worst thing about that glasses thing is that was a Saturday, and after I I was at the optometrist, then I went straight to our version of the driver's license place in Canada to renew my driver's license. Now, I noticed the driver's license in Singapore is different. Like, you're a first world country. We're a developing country in Canada. So there must be like like this computer stuff on here. It must show you all kinds of information with the right scanner, but we're old school, so all our information is actually written on the driver's license for us. Well, it's actually for the police when they pull me over, because ID, picture ID, and, and it tells the policeman what color my hair is, what color my eyes are, how tall I am, how much I weigh, and my home address. I guess that's on here somewhere, but. It's buried in first world technology. So I am renewing my driver's license in Vancouver, and and I expect her to ask, you know, are you still living at 888 Carnarvon? 888 Carnarvon, so our our apartment developer obviously was Chinese. (laughs) So I was prepared to answer that question. I was prepared to say, yes, I, I still live at 888 Carnarvon. You know the only question she asked me, looking above her glasses? Are you still 76 kilos? <laughs> you, you, you know, when you look through the lenses of your culture, sometimes all you see is a mess, right? All you see is imperfection that points out how you, you know, probably need to upgrade your vision glasses and pro- probably need to be on a diet. Change what you're doing somehow. But but the perspective that God gives me comes from the perspective of someone who gave up glory for this broken down man. It comes from the perspective of someone who loves you so much that he hung where you should have hanged. Who bore the wrath of God that you should have borne. He gives us a different, a divine perspective. And from that point of view, I can begin to feel that victory is possible, not because I'm a better man, but because I serve a risen Savior. That is evidence. Love and then victory of obedience. Verses 2 to 3a says, By this we know that we love the children of God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. That is why this is not audience participation. When I ask you how many of you love Jesus, you will probably mostly all want to raise your hand. If I ask you how many of you always obey the commands of Jesus, you will be too humble to raise your hand, but that's the same question. Because to love Him, a mature love for the Lord is to long to obey Him. Now, now I get it, because I was a teenager, and when I was a teenager, every small and simple thing my parents asked me was just, Outrageous! There was no way in my mind that I could imagine wanting to do what they were asking me to do. But when I got older, I longed for opportunity to please them. Because I loved them. We who love the Lord will long to please Him. And His command is love one another as you have been Loved. I I have this feeling that we don't really understand what he meant when he says, the world will know that you belong to me by your love for one another. Be, because that word, when you keep my commandment, love one another, it's got an urgency to it. it. It means I am consumed with a preoccupation of fulfilling every desire he has for me. And for you. It, it's the kind of dedication sometimes we see in athletes. And, and we wonder at these elite athletes how they keep going. They have such extraordinary dedication. I want you to know I'm not just a fan of ice hockey. Um... It is my extreme misfortune to live in Singapore and to be a fan of Manchester United, <laughs> because my building is full of Liverpool fans <laughs> who seem to be worshiping in the middle of the night. I hear them shouting. Um, y- you all know Wayne Rooney, right? he's He's no longer playing for Manchester United, obviously. <laughs> He's the old guy. So he's gone to the Major League Soccer. Major League Soccer is kind of named ironically. It's the American, North American Soccer League, right? Because it doesn't ha- it's not one of the world's elite leagues. It's, it's North American Soccer, which means old guys who used to be awesome. Now they're just better than everybody else who's not that great in North America, but still, they draw crowds. They just don't make billions like they would in Europe or in the UK. And, and he's been playing for DC United. And he's been doing well. But recently, I don't know if you heard this, but he was called up to play for the England team, to get his final cap. And, and it's been kind of controversial. And, and some of the England players have been grumbling a bit, you know. This old guy, he retired two years ago. Why is, why is he being called up? What, what's, the, what's the deal? And so in Washington, D.C., some reporter asked him, so have you heard, you, you know, your teammates and you care, complaining about you being called up? And his response was fascinating. He, he said this, I just want to make sure that on that day, should I get called, I'm going to leave everything on the pitch. In other words, I, I don't have energy to respond to criticism I, I, don't, I don't have time to defend my selection. I, I just want to play for king and country or queen and country. That the joy of, of representing my nation, I, I want to leave everything out there. And, and so at the end of this game, which is against America this week, two teams will have gotten up early, will have trained hard. Two teams will fight tooth and nail to get a win and at the end one team will win one will lose some will be bruised some may be broken but none of them will leave that game saying man i hate this game it just makes me feel discouraged i'm, n- I'm not going to play football anymore why because they love the game oh um did anybody have trouble getting up this morning Ouch, right? Oh, Sunday's church. Ugh. Like, like any, anybody struggling for, for the love of God's people today? Are, are, are you here for any other reason? Except I, I want to serve my king. I, I want to love his people. You, you see, because at the end of my life, I hope I don't die retired. I I hope that I can face the Lord and say, Lord, I've left everything out there. I I have worked with my heart and soul and might until I have had nothing left. I, I, I left it there. Who has time to complain about the Christian who said something prickly to them? Do you have time to complain about the song choice? Or are you just having the same focus as this old athlete? I just want to leave it all out there for the sake of this one I love. Finally, the victory of faith. Um... Church, I I wonder if we understand it's not about really knowing more of God's word. Let Let me just give you a moment to be offended by that. It's not about knowing more of God's word. You are the most biblically literate church I've ever encountered. It's not about knowing more. It's about doing more of what I know. It's about doing more. You know, in the Greco-Roman world, where the Apostle Paul and John lived and taught and died, victory was highly valued. This has impacted European, Western culture. The goddess of victory was worshipped. Europeans don't come to the table to negotiate. Europeans come to win. That's why a certain presidential run was so popular. Because he doesn't want us to be losers anymore. We're going to be winners. We're going to get so tired of winning. You'll be bored of winning. That's an attractive message to a white audience. Because for generations we are taught to worship the goddess of Victory. Her name in Latin was Victoria. In English, Victoria. It's a good girl's name for a European man. Vicky for short. (laughs) Of course, young people today probably know her better by her Greek name, Nike. This is the word John uses, Nike. The victory. He's using language his audience understood. The uh, ironic thing is he's saying, this goddess, she belongs to God. The Lord Jesus gives victory through our faith. He is the one who gives victory. And that's why the Apostle Paul would often use this language. For instance, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he says this, but thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in a victorious Nicaon procession. He leads us in a triumphal procession. Victory belongs to Christ. And that's why he says this in verses, uh, 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 sorry, 24 and 27 of chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. He talks about training as an Olympic athlete, as, as Rooney would train for international friendly with America. He said, do you not know that not everyone who runs the race is going to win, but run so that you may obtain it? What? Victory. victory comes from christ it's not that he makes us stronger it's that he who is stronger resides in us and in my immaturity like several of you who will get asked to serve, but can think of nothing you have that would benefit the ministry of the kingdom, you always say, let me pray about it, because that's a Christian way of declining. Like me, you run from invitation to serve. Like me, you have medical excuses, maybe. Tongue-tied, dyslexic, can't stay in one spot. Right? You've got all kinds of rationale as to why you don't serve, but when I finally gave in to everything he would ask of me, he loosed my tied tongue. You will never feed your faith if you do not employ obedience. Obedience is the food that feeds, Faith, because when I finally obeyed to do all that He had asked of me, for the first time I realized a God in me who could do more than I could ever think, or ask, or imagine. This uh, man, his name John Yates. Some of you are thinking he's probably raising money for missions. For, for those of you who are not GBCers, I was growing my beard. And I had to raise my goal from half a million dollars to saving my marriage. So, I, so I've taken it off. But this was just the style. Like 200 years ago, John Yates was born to immigrant his uh, parents in 1837, his father was a shoemaker in New York, and he too was destined to be a shoemaker. His plan, his every plan was to help his dad in his shoemaking business. But until he got to the age where he could actually be real help, it was just a matter of survival for John Yates because he very nearly died several times in his childhood. At the age of seven, on election day in America, he fell on the court steps, cracked open his head, fractured his skull, and was in a coma for a week and a half. At the age of 10, he was on a boat in a storm, a wave tossed him over, he fractured both of his legs. Then, when he was in a play at the age of 16, he had a knife and tripped and fell. It was a real knife and punctured his lungs. And, and was in the hospital just wavering between life and death for two weeks. And finally, he, he became a man, 18, was helping his dad, met the girl of his dreams, married her, had two children. And then. At the age of 36, both his wife and his children died of diphtheria in the same week. At that moment, this man, John Yates, looked around at his world and was like, What is there? Where is any sense of joyful, victorious expectation? And he opened his Bible to this verse. And his commandments, love one another, are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. It didn't come by human imagination. It came through the victory of Christ on the cross of Calvary. Who is it? John Yates, that overcomes the world, except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. He closed his Bible, and then he wrote down these words. His banner over us is love, our sword, the word of God. We tread the road, the saints above, with shouts of triumph trod. By faith they, like a whirlwind's breath, swept on o'er every field. The faith by which they conquered death is still our shining shield. Faith is a victory. Faith is a victory. Oh, glorious victory that overcomes the world. I grew up on that hymn. Sang joyfully throughout the Great Depression by my parents. Sang joyfully by their children. It is a reminder that we can, no matter what you're facing right now, expect victory through His sacrifice and the faith that He gives us. I was moved yesterday morning by my brother Eugene. Who stood and shepherded his family as they celebrated the life and the death of his grandmother? It's because of this victory our pastor Eugene could proclaim, Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? The sting of death is sin, the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the Nike, the victory. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know if you even remember this. Some of you may not even be born. 1989, uh, America, the superpower, invaded Panama. Sent 45,000 combat-hardened troops to bring down a dictator. Now, now, this was in the Americas, so Canada's always like voyeuristically watching what America does. So I was like riveted. Like, how long would this battle be? It was like six and a half days or seven days. Because Panama honestly didn't have all that much of a military. Though 3,000 civilians lost their lives, America quickly captured the man they were looking for. Don't know if you remember him, Manuel Noriega. He was the dictator of Panama. In fact, he invented a title that did not exist for himself, a title that he would hold for life, maximum leader of national liberation. And he immediately liberated Panamanians from their freedom. But what a lot of people don't realize is he was allowed to stay in power for a long time because he was an informer for the CIA. And he was a valued resource until he got in the business of drugs, money laundering, and weapons trade. Then, you know, that was the end for him. So he was captured by the American military, brought to Florida and was kept there in a Florida prison as a prisoner of war. And and you know what happens during wartime? The press just really gins up nationalism, and and he was so despised that by 1991, he was named the most hated man in America, Uh, uh, even though he was doing nothing but just, you know, sitting there in prison. So he was extradited to France. They charged him with money laundering. And then he was extradited back to Panama. And he died last year. Nobody noticed, right? This great dictator for life died in a Panamanian prison. And the fascinating thing to me about this was that 27 years ago when the U.S. Marines broke down the door to his armed mansion, they found him sitting in a library full of pornography and books on fascism. Adolf Hitler, Mussolini, Franco, he had all the books. But when his family went to reclaim his belongings last year, he had a little library with three books. A Bible, an updated copy of our daily bread, and a well-used version of experiencing God. And people ask, what what happened to him? What what happened to the maximum leader of national liberation? How did he suddenly become this devout Christian? He wasn't there to answer the question, so they went to his lawyer, Frank Rubino. And this is the comment from his lawyer I cannot comment on religion. I'm not qualified to speak on the subject. But I can tell you this that the man who went in there was not the man who died last week, he was different. Not only does this faith give me victory over circumstance, this faith gives me victory over me. Have, have you considered that your biggest struggle is really not your boss? Have you thought maybe your biggest problem is not that church member you think avoids you? Have you considered that the biggest problem is you? For all those who dream of being dictators, for all the Manuel Noriegas, for all the Ian Buntons, there is the gospel. That gives us victory over us. I want to invite you to bow with me for just a moment. As you bow before the Lord, just this moment. This may be the only moment you have in your week. To do business with God. Is it possible that your greatest struggle is you. Is it possible that it's not really that other people need to be better or that you need to learn more, but that you just need Christ to rise up victoriously over your own mess? He died to do that. He rose so that confidence might rise up in your heart. Not in your performance. Not in your ability to strategize your way into a better job or a different situation. But simply by the power of a cross in your life. If you believe you have been born, will you let that old man, that old woman die so that the new man, Jesus Christ, could be obvious in you, could defeat every philosophy, take captive every thought, Refresh all dryness in your soul. Irrigate your heart with the oil of gladness. This Lord inhabits your space right now. You don't have to cry out audibly, He hears your thoughts. He knows what you need even when you don't. He's capable of answering prayers. You don't know how to pray. But if you would just say, Lord, give me the gift to turn to you afresh. That last decision was good for that last day. I run into your embrace today. Fill me with your victorious presence. Equip me to joyfully, lovingly obey, to love those who have been born. Do this, O God, so that you might be glorified in my life, in my church, in me. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's rise for the song of response.